Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. And this week, we're marching through season seven of Buffy. We're talking about the episode Help. And then on Angel, we're talking about slouching toward Bethlehem. We sure are. And actually, I, for a second, was thinking the title was Marching Toward Bethlehem. Yeah. I thought you were, like, making a a a joke (laughs) reference. Uh, (laughs) And I remembered it's slouching. (laughs) Slouching towards Bethlehem and slouching toward Monday. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's depressing. What does that mean? I know it's, uh, I think it's. I forgot to look it up. So the title of, like, a book, and I meant to look it up, but I Mm. didn't. Um, Hmm. I don't really know because they were like, oh, you know that phrase. And then everyone's like, yeah. And I was just sitting there like, no, I don't. What is it? <laughs> hmm. uh, I don't immediately see it, but I should have looked that up pre-recording. Um, yeah. Well, how are you today? I am good. <laughs> um, I'm making donuts today, so okay. I'm really excited. I have told you about this. I haven't told anyone else. Mm, I'm so Hi, people. Um, <laughs> The, that I was on the hunt for Concord grapes. And oh, yeah. Because they're in season, and I, like, okay, just so everyone is aware of how the universe works for me, because for Jenny, apparently it works miraculously. It did. I've had for me a miraculous week. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I, like, want to find a specific item, and I can't, and I tell my friend Jenny, oh, yeah, I can find every other grape except this one kind. And she's like, oh, that's what I had for, for breakfast, because that's the only kind <laughs> that I could find. Like, yeah. Yes. So you had your Concord grapes while I was on the hunt for them, but I don't think I really like Concord grapes, though. To be fair, uh, I no, maybe in baking, but as this is a snack, they're bizarre. They're they have seeds in them, and yeah. like so, if you don't know, Concord grapes are the ones that are like grape flavor. Right. It's like, like all candy is supposed to taste like all candy. I think that's why they're all, so like, weird to eat because you're like, oh, it's well, like fake candy yeah. now. Like it's been so or, like yeah, Welch's grape juice. Yes. Like those are all Concord grapes, and um, so. I wanted to make, like, a thing that's kind of riffing on PB&J. So, like, I obviously was, like, Concord grapes are in season. I should use these. And then I just, like, could not find them. But I found them yesterday at the farmer's market that I hadn't been to intentionally, like, ever. And it, I was a bit overwhelmed. It was kind of insane. So now I have plans to go back to the farmer's market <laughs> at some point. Um, but I did find my grapes. I was, like, a little bit suspicious, though, because they weren't labeled as Concord grapes. And, but I was looking at them, and I was like, these look like Concord. So I asked the guy, I was like, what kind of grapes are these? And he was like, Concord. I was like, okay, because the sign just says sweet grapes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I felt a little bit suspicious that maybe what I bought weren't Concord grapes. But the fact that he said it without me leading him, right. I was like, okay, I, I believe you. I'm going to take this on faith that I found them. Because they're really, they have like a, a month-long season. They're not commercially sold very often mm-hmm. because because they're not seedless, because they have tough skins. Mm-hmm. Like we, because we as Americans have gotten used to not eating grapes like this. Yeah. Um, not that popular. So you have to be like really intentional about buying hmm. them. Sorry, that's my long, boring story on grapes. <laughs> that's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, Slouching toward Bethlehem is a ref is a, a a layered literary reference. So uh, sorry, everyone, that we are not not so sophisticated today. Uh, I guess it's a it's the title of a book of essays by Joan Didion, but it's also so that I but knew, it's from but a Yeats poem. So like okay. her title is referencing the Yeats poem. But I don't have okay. the energy was, or the bandwidth in the moment to read this poem and like come up with any <laughs> conclusions. Okay, I was going to say I thought it was Joan Didion, but then I was like, oh, I think I have one of her books on my nightstand. It's not that one, so I wasn't 100% sure. Yeah. 
because I haven't read it, so. Well, I know everyone comes here for the stunning literary analysis, but it's just not going to be here today. <laughs> Do you know what it means? Not really. Okay. Uh, well, her book apparently is a, is a some sort of reference to the Haight-Ashbury culture in the 60s, but I, ah. I'm assuming it seems not to be negative, but to be not positive. But I really don't. Because in context, ha- it seemed like a metaphor for like impending disaster. That's what I think it is in the original poem. Actually, okay. I guess that's probably what it is in hers too. I just sorry, I'm trying to skim Wikipedia articles and also talk to you and listen at the same time, and it's just not. <laughs> well, we'll, I've reached we'll the limits of my multitasking skills, which is we'll I got the names post- for you. Yeah, I can't get any farther. We'll than do that. a post recording dive. I can't um, do f- more. How are you doing, Jenny? I'm other than frantically Wikipedia. I'm frantically right Wikipediaing. I am really pleased with myself. This is a stupid, stupid thing, but um, I enjoy uh, painting my nails. It's like, I, it's soothing. I, I like it. I like being in control. I don't like having, I don't really like getting manicures like to do it, but as anybody who's ever painted their nails knows, you then live in this dangerous world for like three hours where it's like, my nails are kind of wet. And if I do anything, <laughs> I don't know, ruin all that hard work. And so it's hard to find a time to like do it where you're, you don't really need your hands for like a while. And today I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it before we podcast so that because now I don't really need oh. my hands while we're doing this. And this is like the perfect opportunity for it to just like finish drying. I mean, I use a quick dry top coat, but it's like you still, I think I used to always be like, oh, I'll do it before bed. But then you end up with like sheet imprints on <laughs> all your nails. So yeah. anyway, I'm just really pleased I'm impressed that, I, that you were just willing to risk those for typing. <laughs> I know. I know. Thank Yeah. Everybody recognized that I just put my nails in danger. Just also, I love that you were like, we're podcasting that I'm guaranteed to have like an hour and a half. Exactly. I'm like, feel pretty good about it. I, I think this is what I should do from now on. Like, because painting them doesn't actually take that long. It's really the dry yeah, time I mean, that's like, oh, crap, I was going to do this, but now I can't. And I also just like, you know, the like smell kind of lingers and it's like, I don't want to touch like food or like do anything yeah. when it's like still kind of leaching chemicals. <laughs> it's the main reason I don't even like forget giving myself manicures like I don't even really ever bother doing my nails Mm -hmm. because like I just use my hands so much that like it's a waste of money like unless I have like a special event or something I'm like because I cook like I'm like using acids and Mm -hmm. like you know like not harsh acids but like lemon juice can damage your manicure for sure I think doing dishes is the one that really gets me yeah, and, like, I just, like, I'm really bad about remembering, like, okay, I should put gloves on or, like, you oh, know, yeah. something. And I just, like, I just realized, like, it's a huge, like, it's basically I could just, like, walk into the salon, give them my money, yeah, and, and walk out, and it would be, like, the <laughs> same impact. <laughs> I think that's why I like doing it myself, too, though, because if you chip it, it's like, oh, I can fix it. For the yeah, most part. Not always, but. I, I also should mention that I just, like, don't have the skills to do mm-hmm. it myself because it does take a lot of practice. Yeah. Um, but. Well, I'm very skilled. Maybe next time I see you, Jenny, I'll let you give me a manicure. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I haven't really practiced doing it on other people, but yeah. (laughs) Sure, 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 sure. There's a technique you want to try. You know, I'll be your guinea pig. Okay. Happy to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, that's that. Want to jump into Buffy? Yeah, let's jump into Buffy. Sorry. Um, Sometimes we try to do like a segue and I just got... Uh, kind of a brain uh, fart well, after that. Well, the segue is, like, this episode is called Help, so, like, I really didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, Except now I have that Beatles song, I, yeah. and I've had it in my yeah. head ever since I watched this episode. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Um, okay, well, I'm excited to talk about this one, because I have a lot of mixed feelings, I think. Okay, yeah. I feel I, like um, it's, yeah. 
I was going to ask you, and I, I could, maybe it's better to ask you after we do the recap, but I, you kind of brought it up. I was going to ask you like, just you like a hot take. So yeah, no, I, no is my hot take answer. <laughs> I think it's more complicated. Obviously there's, it's more complicated than that though. So yeah. I mean, is it a double meat palace? No, but is it as fun to hate as a double meat palace? Also no. <laughs> All right, let, let's do you, talk. Do you know, actually, I'm glad you brought up Double Meat Palace because that's what I was grasping for with slouching toward Bethlehem. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Like, I was watching it and thinking this is Angel's, like, horror movie episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which <laughs> it wasn't like, as well understand. done as Double Meat Palace, but it definitely had that vibe. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> um, All right, well, let's jump ahead. Let's talk so. about help. So, you know, Buffy got this job as the high school counselor and this is kind of she this episode is like her first week on the job. So she's at school. She's dealing with this kind of parade of of students. She's feeling really, you know, like she wants to do a good job, but she's not sure she will be good at it. And I think everybody, all of her friends are pretty positive about like, well, you were our friend and counseled us through things in high school. And also, you know, about all the demons that are probably going to come up. So you're probably really well suited to this job. Um, But I think you know, Buffy is doing her best. She gets some doozies and some jokes and, you know, people are there just to rib her and people are there because they really need something. And she's got, I think, does like a decent job managing it. Uh, So we see her go through a a number of students and um, eventually she meets this student named Cassie. There we go. uh, Who is sort of... You know what? It's not important. But Cassie is there. And while talking about her day, she seems very matter of fact. But she also says something about how, well, it doesn't matter because I'm not going to make it past Friday. And Buffy obviously takes this as like, okay, she means she's going to commit suicide or after kind of some probing. Oh, she's in danger somehow. And so Buffy does her best to talk to Principal Wood and figure out what they can do to, you know, for whatever is actually something seems to be very seriously wrong. And Buffy's going to do her best to stop it. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Cassie, you know, more or less implies and then maybe says outright that, like, sometimes she sees things and then they happen. So she's sort of psychic or precog, they call her later, Um, or at least she purports to be. But it seems like she is because she makes a couple of weird predictions and says, like, little things like, oh, Buffy, you're going to stain your shirt. And then she does. But, you know, obviously some other things to maybe lead us to believe that she really is a psychic. Um, but she seems otherwise to have like, to be like a pretty cool student. She's got this friend who asked her to the dance. Buffy kind of enlists Dawn to sort of come at her from another angle, which is just like, you know, a peer and a friend. And she and Dawn seem to get along and kind of, you know, Dawn's like making new friends. Um, but of course this Friday still comes and despite their best efforts, they've like searched the school. They've reached out to her dad, who is an alcoholic to like make accusations at him. They've looked for weapons in other students' lockers and they don't find anything. So, or rather they find coins, which she also mentions were part of her vision. So Buffy sticks around and it turns out that there's this, you know, cult of jerk boys led by the oldest brother from home improvement. Um, and they're trying to summon a demon so that they can be infinitely wealthy forever. And in order to do that, they need to sacrifice someone and they've decided to sacrifice Cassie. So this is Buffy kind of decides, oh, this must be the thing that she saw and I'm here to stop it. And sure enough, she does. She kills the demon. They, you know, best these pipsqueak teenage boys or whatever. Spike comes to help and it all seems to be great. And then Cassie collapses from like a heart attack or not a heart attack, some heart condition. And that's it. And then she's dead. So... (laughs) Anyway, um, so she probably really is precognitive since she could definitely predict that something was going to die or that she was going to die and that they couldn't stop it. 
that's more or less it. Yeah. I think I skipped over some big things, but we'll get there. Yeah. I, I appreciate, you know, where this episode is trying to go. I think it just ultimately, I think why it really didn't work for me is because it is really, really focused on this other person who we have never seen and will, for the most part, never see again. I was like, well, was Azura I was Sky? Say, we right, meet her. But pretty much not. <laughs> That's like not substantive, I don't think. I don't know. I guess I just. I remember, so the girl who plays Cassie is Azura Sky. I remember her being all over my teen, my teen magazine, 17 magazines in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I never knew who she was. And I, every time I look her up, I still don't get why she was so famous. Why was she in everything? She was in my some sort of sitcom. My theory is because she's like the lost fanning sister. Yeah, like, she I does was, look like I was that. so distracted the entire episode. <laughs> I was like, my God, she looks like, could they just like not get Dakota fanning yeah. for this? Is that why? <laughs> But she was on some sitcom, I think, playing some, like, kind of gothy girl, sort of up the same alley. So I guess that was just what she was famous for. But I was like, was she so famous at the time that, like, just having it her in their episode was a draw? But it really, it didn't quite seem like that. So I just I don't really know. don't understand. I, mean, I think she was the, the, good, but I also did find it distracting for the exact same yeah. reasons where I was like, I know at one point I think I was supposed to know who this person yeah, was, like, and I've already who forgotten. Are you? And then I was like, who is it? Yeah. Who is it? <laughs> I mean, I looked her up. I'm sorry. To be clear, she was on some sitcom with like, um, oh my God, what's her name? The girl that Sarah Michelle Geller kissed in Cruel Intentions, Selma Blair. So there's this whole tie. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, okay. uh, like Selma Blair. It was like a, it, it is like this weird like grouping of like late '90s early aughts celebrities that were like in some show. I just never remember anybody in my life talking about it. So it just is strange. Anyway, speaking of weird groupings and connections, I laughed out loud when Allison Hannigan was talking about Doogie Howser fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it's like interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I guess I, I quite liked Buffy in this episode. You know, I did actually kind of enjoy getting this peek into like what this part of her life could or will look like and I you know they're obviously also sowing seeds for things that are going to go on later like we're still getting to know Principal Wood you know we saw that girl Sarah who you and I know is going to come back again in another episode or two um so I guess like that stuff I kind of enjoyed and I didn't hate Cassie it was just very melodramatic and like kind of cliched which like none of those things on their own would bother me it really was this like expecting me to love and care about this one person in the span of one episode was like i'd really you know who's like my new favorite is don like let's just spend the episode with don <laughs> yeah so I, I i on balance think that i actually like this episode and i'll talk about why okay. in a second but i did want to talk a little bit about cassie and like I think she is sort of the part of the episode that doesn't work for me. And I think it's not the fault of the actress. I think it's the way she's written. For sure. She's intentionally vague about what's going to happen to her. She's constantly saying, you can't help me, which comes across as extremely annoying in the face of people trying to help you. But I also was trying to think about where she was coming from and like probably knowing that this is a really difficult thing to explain. She didn't know who she was talking to. She doesn't know Buffy's the Slayer. Right. And also like, I think because where she's coming from where these things that she just knows right. always do come to pass. Like we saw her friend get a B on the history test, test yeah. even though he was like, I knew that stuff cold. Like her, her, her knowledge is like, I think she's trained herself enough to know that like it is the truth. Right. So I think she's a little fatalist about it because in her mind, like there's never been a time when she's wrong. So why would she be wrong about this? Yeah. Um, I agree. And as we see, she wasn't. So it's, it, I think the ending does kind of, 
retroactively like put Cassie in a better light for sure because she, she was, was right. annoying in the moment like she was right. yeah yeah no you're um, right and I know and I don't mean to say that I hated it I just think push come to shove no I don't like it <laughs> yeah but I do want to talk about um so my hot take on this episode yes. is that I think I did like it and um, my reasons are not that it's like a great episode of Buffy but I would agree that the characters are all really good or our main, our main characters are really mm-hmm. good in this episode. Um, but I also, what I like was, you know, this is a new world that we're being reintroduced to. Like we, mm-hmm. and we haven't really spent a lot of time in the high school since the first episode. And there's this new, new premise of Buffy having this new job and much like double meat palace, like we have to kind of see her in this job. And this is the episode that does that. And I actually think it worked really well because it is a table setting episode. So mm-hmm. it's a little small scale, but we also see Buffy trying to operate as the slayer in a different set of circumstances where I really liked them calling out where she's like, as the slayer, I would just beat down this door. But as the counselor, like I have to ring the doorbell. And like, even then I feel like she kind of takes it a little far right right. um she she's physically threatening a student at one point and then at another point she does physically beat a student like there are stretches here where you can see like this world doesn't quite mesh but I like the attention to detail of trying to at least make it a realistic part of this universe like her interactions with the principal I think are great like we see that he's actually whatever his reasons are for having her on staff he's Treating Listening. it as if she has a real job. Yeah, I agree. He's trying to help her succeed. He, we see Buffy actually doing a great job. Right. She is very empathetic to these students. You know, and she's clearly clumsy. She, she yeah. even handles the ones that are obvious, like you know, time killers or like they're to just hit on her with mm-hmm. like you know humor, but also like Cern. a sense of authority. Yeah. Like she is doing great, and I think it's nice to finally see Buffy succeeding at a job where we saw her mostly just like existing before. Yes. Um, but this episode, you kind of mentioned this offhand, but what it does do is it does start to further set the stage for the season things to come. Um, you know, Spike is still mentioning that he's hearing voices. There's still a sense that something is wrong in the high school beyond just the normal hell mouth stuff. Um, and we're starting to see some of the players come into place, even though we don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. But I think it wouldn't work later if we haven't spent time with them. Yeah. You know, like I appreciate us spending more time with Principal Wood. I appreciate us spending more time in the new high school. I appreciate us meeting more of the students who are going to pop up as kind of like, you know, not regulars, but regular appear, you know, like yes. the kid from Home Improvement. Yeah. Like he is someone who exists in this world now. Like I appreciate right. spending enough time with him to like where we met him. So like at the end with his dealings with the demon, like it's not, it's not like who's this kid. Right. Like we have a little bit more knowledge about him. Um, I also love the the through line here of like, kids in Sunnydale are always going to be trying to raise demons yeah. from power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, this was a lot like the frat party episode, Totally. Right? Um, it reminded, yes. So, yeah, and there was a lot of, like, callbacks that I like, and I, and I like that Dawn has more of a role in this world, too. Me too. And that she's not kind of forgotten that Buffy does enlist her to help. Like, like I said, I... This isn't like a fantastic episode of like, wow, this story is so compelling. But I think if you have to have a table setting episode to really familiarize us with this new setting, they did a great job. I think you're right. And it's funny because I I mostly think you and I are on the same page about it. It's like really like a a fine line between liking and not liking this episode. Mostly, I guess I just think it was pretty it would be forgettable if it weren't so standoutish because I, because Azura Sky is this weird fixture in my life where I spent all of 1999 wondering who she was. (laughs) 
<laughs> why is she in every magazine? And I was like, why are you in this episode of Buffy? And I guess I just can't let that go. So it was like hard for me to totally take the focus off of her. But I agree with everything else that you're saying. And I want to touch on a couple things that you said that I also said. Um, I mean, specifically, it's nice to see Buffy be good at her job, but I... I think they just do such an, I really, really liked those scenes with Buffy encountering all these students because she's also like really realistically like unsure, but still making good choices. Like, I don't know. I guess I just think it wasn't like she wasn't amazing at it out the gate, but it was just clear that she was trying hard and was going to be able to do a good job. And like the more she got warmed up, the better she would get with the next person kind of thing. Um, well, and I love the end where Dawn tells her this. Like, she's like, you failed, but it's because Cassie's heart gave out, not because of something that you right. did. Like, you listened to her, and you took her seriously, and you made me be her friend, and, like, these are all things that you did correctly. Right. And I'm like, that's so nice to hear. But, and to your point, too, I think it's nice to see that, yes, on the one hand, Buffy will always have this Slayer aspect to her, but I actually think she was so strong and willing to not go with that as her first instinct, you know, like she did. It's not like she's stupid and she's going to forget that paranormal things exist or that she doesn't need to look at that realm also. But her first reaction was to go to principal wood. And she was like, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, literally the thing that you're doing is you're supposed to tell me so that I can take like real world actions. And to your point, it's also very nice that principal wood doesn't, he seems to really be trying to be good, right? Like he's really, tr- he takes her seriously. He's taking the students' well-being seriously. He is also very matter of fact about like this may or may not solve the problem, but we're going to do everything that we can. So I don't know. I guess I just, I like that we, that we get to see Buffy doing this. That it's clear that she's actually pretty good or going to be pretty good at this and that she is able to be a human while also being a slayer. Like she doesn't have to be completely one or the other that she's, I think, succeeding at like making that a part of who she is and part of her job, but not the whole job. Yeah, and I actually really want to, I know we've mentioned this several times now, but I do think it is a good thing, like, to call out Principal Wood's treatment of Buffy, is that, you know, he kind of made up this job on the spot, but he's treating it as a real advantage. Like, her interactions with the students are, like, a level of interaction that he can't achieve as principal, and he's taking her reports and her concerns seriously like we see him searching the lockers Mm -hmm. after he like casually mentions like that's something we could do that he actually does it like he's following up on her reporting and taking it seriously and not dismissing Buffy or the students as oh well that's not a thing we should worry about like I don't know if that continues but I well yeah I'm definitely interested to revisit our thoughts on that I yeah but Okay, here's sorry. I don't want to I don't want to get so stuck on this, but I'm because when you're talking, you know, I'm re- reflecting and thinking about it. You know, season 2, we met a lot of students for just one episode only, and I don't have this reaction to them. So there is something specific about this, I, and I'm still talking about Cassie. It, you know, there is something specific about the way the episode is treating her, and I think that is ultimately the crux of what kind of irks me. I get that she actually is psychic. Or, you know, I believe, yeah, not, I don't think it's a question. She's actually psychic. <laughs> and so, yes, yeah. it does kind of reframe the things that she's saying. I do think that the, the episode kind of is holding her a little bit above everybody else, though, in this, like, way. I don't know if it's that she's more pure or that she's more correct or that she's more righteous. But I think that is the thing that kind of ultimately rubbed me the wrong way. It's not unusual for us to meet a character and then they die at the end of the episode. And it's like, why was I supposed to care about them? I cared about lots of people in season two, you know, lots of random students for that only lasted for an episode or two. So I think it's not really that. I think it's that they, they sort of deify her in this way. That is a little bit irksome. I think that's what I don't like. 
Well, it's not I think it's her. that we spend so episode. much time with her, too. But it's that everybody, she says these things with this, like, reverence. Oh, she'll say it. You know, when she says that line to Spike, and it's like, Oh, yeah. Stop. Stop. Yeah, they, did leave. They, I, they are, you know, maybe part of it is that they're trying to use this idea of a precognitive, like, person yes. as a crutch to, like, give us little, like, breadcrumbs. Yes. Like, yeah. So that's, I, but I think, I agree. Yeah. That stuff didn't really work for me, like, why is she saying anything to Spike? Like, in the moment of being rescued, to take the time and be like, she'll say it. Yeah. Like, no, get the hell yeah, out stop. of it. Like, <laughs> and yeah. to the, your point, yes, it makes sense. And I, I totally understand that. I don't know. I just, it's it's still, she's not perfect, but I think they treat her like she's perfect. I think the show treats her like she's perfect. Anyway, that's yeah. my, I'll stop. Um, <laughs> I also want to bring up the scene where Buffy goes to talk to Cassie's yeah. dad. Um, specifically because I think he was the swim coach. Really? Like, way back in Go Fish. Okay. I didn't look it up. I meant to, but I think he was. Because I was like, this guy has been on Buffy before. No, he's not the swim coach. That guy, I feel like I can picture. Also, that guy dies, right? Oh, the swim coach. I'm thinking of the... um, No, not the nurse. Yeah, he does die, but I'm pretty sure... Hmm. He was this. I, I meant to look it up and I forgot, but I like ninety percent sure it's the same guy. Mm. Okay, well I'll have to look All him right. up. I'm trying to click around, but <laughs> um, what were my other thoughts about this? <laughs> uh, Xander doesn't know what Google is. Oh, yeah, I mean nobody knew. Was like the biggest call to me where I was like, "What year is yeah. this?" <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh, actually, Google's fairly new at this yeah, point." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I start, I know I started using Google when I was a sophomore in high school. So this is about that's about. Right. Sophomore, junior. So, yes. Funny. Shoot. Sorry. I lost my train of thought. I guess that said, I also thought, you know, kind of once again, the, the I feel like the humor is nice and back and well-rounded. Like, Buffy continues to kind of be funny. I really loved the running gag of her and Don repeatedly telling people that the other one was their sister and not the other way around. <laughs> like, it's a really silly thing, but I, it kind of made, it made me laugh every time. I also really loved that <laughs> Buffy was, like, infiltrating this, like, you know, get cult of demon razors or whatever. And she's like, oh, it's because you didn't have the heavy metal blue clam cult music. And I was like, okay, Buffy. <laughs> blue oyster cult, first of all. But also, they're not heavy metal. <laughs> I just loved that. It's like, it felt totally real. Like, that is something Buffy would say, but it's funny. It's just a, a layer. And she was wrong. They didn't, they didn't need that. Right, after right, all. right. <laughs> I actually thought it might have worked out better had the demon not appeared. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it was, like, again, kind of this thing that, like, Buffy always has to fight a demon. And right. it felt a little bit superfluous. Like, I think we mentioned that. We did. In the first? Another episode. Yeah, first or second episode. it was episode. kind of like, why is there even a demon here? Yeah. Like, what's the point? But no, I think you're right. It was sort of silly. Other than it gave Spike a reason to be back in the scene. But, yeah, you're right. So then very, very plot reasons to have him there and not really necessary. Yeah. Um Another comment I also thought about, and this goes back to the beginning scene, which is one, like, I am still super enjoying the fact that, like, they're following up on so much of the end of season six and, like, Buffy is actively training Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this scene in the morgue where they're... Oh, my God, yeah. in coffins for <laughs> a vampire to rise. The only thought I had, though, was the Sunnydale morgue must work really fast because my understanding is that a vampire... To be, it gets bitten, drained, and then there's like 24 hours or something until they rise. Right? I think like it's the next day. Yeah. Basically, or the next night. 
It's a good question. They're always in but graves this already. this woman was like, dis- her body was discovered. She was identified. She was embalmed and then already like ready to have her funeral like the next day. All in the time it took her to rise? Like, I, I think the bigger question, Allie, is that most of the vampires come out of the graves, so there's the added day of burial. <laughs> you're right, you're right. If anything, uh, she she's was, uh, she was more reasonable. Schedule, yeah. I guess. Maybe there's a wait list at the morgue. <laughs> I do feel like there's, at some point, they make the case, or maybe I just made this up to make these things make sense. I do feel like it's variable. I don't think that they're like, it's not like a 24-hour clock. I think it's a, like within a, a day or two. They tend to well, rise. Well, because you're right that most of them come out of the grave. Or they're then, actually like, in the morgue. them also rise in the morgue yeah. so this, before they even make it to the funeral Right, home. right. So there's some variance. Yeah. I think what was really funny is that the seat... So this episode opens in the funeral home, and um, I forget if I mentioned this last week or not, but I started watching Six Feet Under again. And so literally, Alex and I were like, if you just put on the wrong show, because <laughs> it looks quite a bit like the Fisher funeral home. That's the like, main set piece for Six Feet Under. And we're like, what's happening? <laughs> oh. Uh, but yeah, that was cracking me up. Yeah. I guess I, I guess Spike is still just kind of this weird set dressing. I did think I do think That's that it was silly that he came. I'm, I mean, I, I agree with you that the demon wasn't necessary, but once he was back there fighting, I thought that was kind of a better use of him than what they've kind of been doing. Like, you know, even in this episode, we kind of get some more of his like awkward and confused conversations with Buffy where he talks about how he hurt her. And it's like, I understand that we are maybe have to go through these steps, but it's not my favorite. Um, but I liked it better when he was kind of using these, these things to motivate him back to what he used to do. I don't know. I guess I, I, I feel like seeing him back in the fray on the side of the good guys kind of felt good. Um, and I was like, okay, maybe we can kind of just finally get back on this path and forget all the things that I've not enjoyed. I also really liked um, the the call out that like Spike, yes, he has a soul, but let's not forget that still he's has, still Spike and still he has, still can't hurt Yeah, that he still has the chip. Because he has a chip in his I head. I liked that too. Yeah. No, I, and I had that question too. I, for a minute, I couldn't remember. I was like, wait, is his chip still working? But it is, so yeah. Still there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Man, Don's taking ceramics classes, though. Like, this is, a, is this a good high school or a bad high school? I know, right? Like, they really, like, why are they, I guess, like, when you have a rapidly, like, decreasing student body, yeah. like, you can <laughs> spend more money. But, yeah, like, Sunnydale doesn't strike me as a town that would have the tax base to support classes like ceramics. I don't know, though. It looks pretty upscale every time we see, I feel like. It does look really nice, but, like, the old high school looked upscale, too. I guess I just think that... We're constantly making reference to, like, Sunnydale was, like, a depressed town. Yeah, I guess I just... It's because it's... It's because the old high school was in all those 90s movies that were always set in rich places, so it's, like, hard to break that association. (laughs) Like, yeah, this is where Freddie Prince Jr. went to school or whatever. She's all that, Also, we know now that Cordelia's dad was, like, embezzling or not paying taxes or something, Mm -hmm. but, like, what was he supposed to do for a living? Who knows? Yeah. Is that your segue into Cordelia-centric episode? It's not, but it can be. Yeah. I mean, I don't think um, I have anything else to say. I mean, happy... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Great. Let's talk about Cordelia trying to discover Cordelia. Let's literarily um, analyze. <laughs> Those are all the right words. Anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, all right. So, slouching towards Bethlehem. Uh, last episode, they the gang all came back from Vegas um, rescuing Lauren, and they walk into the hotel and discover Cordelia is there, but obviously amnesiac because she's like, 
who are you? So we spend the first part of this episode with everybody trying to figure out, like, yes, who are you? Turns out Cordelia also doesn't remember who she is. So they're trying to simultaneously clue her in on that, but also not because Angel's very concerned that, you know, she's trying to figure out who she is and who they are, and he doesn't want to scare her off with... Um, we fight demons <laughs> and your friend is green and I'm a vampire and like all of that, um, which is a huge misfire because they handle this all wrong. Like I mentioned before, like this horror vibe, this is a very like creepy ordeal for Cordelia. Like she's completely clueless what's going on. You know, they take her upstairs to a hotel room where they're stashing all her stuff and she's piecing together little bits and pieces. Like she used to be a cheerleader. She is reading her yearbook and a lot of the messages don't make sense. (laughs) Like, hey, how about that giant snake? Sorry, the homeroom burned down, like all of that. So she's really, really confused and overhearing bits and pieces from the group doesn't really help. Like she overhears Fred and Gunn talking about murdering babies, but of course they're talking about exterminating a nest of like demons. Um, You know, she catches a glimpse of Lorne and is really creeped out. There's like seems to be other people in the hotel that she hasn't met um, because one of them is a client of Lauren's who like attacks her. So she runs away um, with the help of Connor, who is also like sneaking through the hotel. Um, And she follows him because she clearly doesn't trust these people who are lying to her. Like Wolfman Hart also makes an attack on the hotel. And so she kind of is convinced that she's a spy, but they all tell her, no, actually we fight demons which is a lot to handle um but they're still she can sense like they're not being totally honest with her um so connor shows up and takes her to wherever he's been staying and he's fully honest with her he tells her hey yeah i'm angel's son um i'm not in the hotel because i tried to punish him by sinking him to the bottom of the ocean for three (laughs) months and i also by the way tried to kill you at one point as well um and i'm very sorry for that and you know she's a little bit less taken aback by what he says than the fact that he's honest about all of this so she seems to trust him but meanwhile Lauren has also read Cordelia and discovered that whatever she's got going on in her future is just bad 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 like the worst that can happen evil is coming and it's not great um and Wolfram and Hart somehow gets wind that he's read her or assumes that he would have read her that she's you know she's back and what does this mean so Lila sets up a sting with the help of unbeknownst of Wesley where she lets him overhear a conversation about Cordelia being back Wesley goes to the hotel and tells Angel that Cordelia's with Connor um so they track them down and help foil an attack by another attack by Wolfram and Hart but meanwhile Lauren is alone at the hotel and gets attacked as well which is the real point because (laughs) there's like a demon that like sucks out all the knowledge that he knows about Cordelia so Wolfram and Hart now knows more than they do about what's to come um and Cordelia decides she's going to stay with Connor because she trusts him because he was honest with Mm -hmm. her um and so that's that's that Mm. I really didn't like I didn't either (laughs) (laughs) uh I mean, do you know why? I think I just this is the beginning yeah. of the end, I think, and like where it all goes wrong. Like Cordelia choosing to trust Connor, like well, even if her reasons in the moment seem no legit. Like no. I I'm also like watching the the team just like badly mishandle this reintroduction of Cordelia and 
they seem totally clueless that everything they're doing is wrong. And I don't know why they're so dumb. I don't know why like, they're so dumb either. And yes, no, I, I mean, I agree. I agree. The thing though, that really bugged me along with everything is that I get that Connor is the only one that was honest with her. But once again, kind of my issue with Cassie is it's like, sometimes the show decides that somebody is being noble, even when what they're doing doesn't make any sense. So it's like, I, it's fine to me that Connor was honest with her and I can buy that. But he, part of his line is like, you're brave and you're this. And it's like, Connor doesn't know Cordelia that well. So like that he's the one to kind of give her this very personal assessment of who she actually is, is just made me so mad. I was like, Connor barely knows her and he did try to kill her. So like, screw you. You're not going to get away with trying to convince me that somehow you're the most like emotionally savvy person in this group. I'm sorry. Also, she doesn't know him. Like she just takes off with him and he's just a stranger wandering around the hotel, like, which makes no sense to me at all. The handling of all of this is just terrible and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's like, the only reason I think they can get away with this is because they've proven time and time again these people do not know how to interact <laughs> right, with each other. It's consistent, I guess. It's just very irritating. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, no, it was super annoying. It was super annoying. And I also don't love now... I don't know. It's just it's hard because Cordelia was so great. They kind of put her in this really weird spot to begin with. Now they've brought her back and she doesn't know who she is. But the thing that was so fun to watch about Cordelia was getting to see her be this new, better person, you know, and like also get to see her still be her old self with Angel and like be the like loves shoes and loves shopping and is kind of shallow, but is still deep under a great person. And just to like take that identity away from her when she's worked so hard to get it is also just like annoying on a deeper level. It's not fun well, to watch Cordelia that's something struggle. something, too, that I think I found really frustrating is, like, yes, this mishandling of the character of Cordelia and, like, allowing her all this growth and then taking it away for what seems like the sake of plot, which is super annoying, but also, like, it does a disservice to Cordelia yes. by the characters because they're lying to her with the assumption that she can't handle what they're going to tell her. But if this is truly Cordelia, there's never been anything that's shown that on some levels she can't just handle it. Like she didn't always know all of these things existed, but we've seen her as a character confront these things and go, well, that sucks. Let's move on and like take care of it. Like high school Cordelia, like was pretty, you know, being inducted into the vampire fighting gang. Like she was very kind of matter of fact about it. And like, and, and it's doubly frustrating in an episode that takes all of this away from her and yet still insists on trying to call back to that Cordelia right, right. with her choice of song while right, she's singing. Right, right. And I was like, you cannot have it yeah, both ways. It's very this is really, you cannot both call on our affection for high school Cordelia and then refuse to incorporate her into yeah, this. Yeah, no, exactly. But it's like... And just say amnesia is the cause of all of this. No, no. you're totally because right. Because we see her, she still has the same personality. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, I get Angel not wanting to show her his vamp face out the gate, but, like, the rest of it is, like, it's not that hard, guys. I don't even think this is the first time someone's had amnesia on the show. (laughs) Like, is this a soap opera? (laughs) And why do you not know what you're doing better? I don't know. I think, I mean, the only part of this that I didn't hate, and maybe you'll disagree with me, though, I did, I I mean, I still enjoy Wesley and Lila, and I think it was very... no. That was the only part of this episode that was successful. Okay, great. <laughs> you said no, and I was like, oh, no. I mean... Oh, no, I meant, like, no, I agree. Like, I I actually 
was like, I would watch this whole episode. Me too, of this. because like it's so fun them, to watch them backstab each other. <laughs> like that, there's more well, heart also to them it. starting to realize the emotional yes. toll of it because like they they go from yes. very cutely admitting that this is like something more than them just sleeping together. Yes. Like Wesley calls it a relationship. It's clear it's not the first time they've talked about it because they have they a have bet a joke. Yeah, like, yeah, and it's a joke and it's like this whole thing and like that and then to see it immediately switch from that scene to like Lila setting him up to betray his friends yes and and at the end them talking about you know she admits like well I don't know why you expected this and also like why is this my fault you took the information of your own free will and did what you wanted with it and neither of them is really wrong but it also creates this super interesting dynamic it really did and I'm like this is great TV (laughs) the rest of this is not and I think (laughs) the other things that make that what that I really enjoyed about it first of all is that frankly I have grown to like ship them basically like I understand that they have a very unhealthy underpinning to their relationship and it's sad that it can never work out because they're so on opposite ends of things but it's like when they get to the point where you realize that Lila's betrayed him there was a real cost to that you know what I mean like I felt it and I think she did too and so it's like that was earned that betrayal and the sentiments behind it and the fallout were earned but even more, what I really loved was this, like, also kind of revelation at the end, because I sat there and watched, like, them come back to Lorne. I was like, why the hell didn't they just kidnap Lorne? And then you get that explanation. It was like, oh, that was kind of the one bone that she threw Wesley because she really cares about him enough that, like, she kind of can't help herself. And I just, I thought that was such a great touch, you know, that she yeah, is kind of like, messing instead up. Instead of killing your yeah. friend I just tortured him yeah but 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 truthfully I know I mean I get it this is like a different universe I'm not saying she's actually a sweet person but I just oh, thought no, it was I like a that nice as, like I'm agreeing okay. with you like that is the the realization of like she's like she has she could have gone and, farther and to be fair to Lila like we saw the cost exactly to her if she doesn't that's do what this I, job like the way she got this job like that will happen to her if she fails yeah. and so to see to know that and then to see how she's acting even within those constraints yeah like, exactly Lila like she's is trying her best and she's putting herself in danger by not killing lauren <laughs> yeah. i would say she's sort of like yeah <laughs> no anyway i don't want to i also was wondering so because they kind of frame it as like she left the dollar bill by accident but oh, i wonder I thought it, if she I didn't sort of thought if it was on she purpose. was like yeah, like, that was, like, this is the decision that she's mm-hmm. made, and, like, this is as far as it can go. Mm-hmm. Like, she's going to leave the proof of the relationship behind because, like, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, this is their their point of, you know, the end yeah. of the road. I don't, I don't remember if it is or not, but, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, great, great little, like, five minutes of the entire yeah. episode, but <laughs> I guess it's just cause they're not misconstruing their characters or their motivations in any way. So it's like, even with good things can happen and bad things can happen, but it feels very, it's, it's, they're not making the characters do something that they would never do. Like Connor isn't all of a sudden this really empathetic, you know, deep thinking kind person. Like where did this Connor come from? I understand that he needs to make a journey, but you can't just have it. I felt like this was so 180 and then that they're really doubling down on like, and he's the only one Cordelia can trust. I was like, that is too much character change in one episode. I'm sorry. I'm happy for him to get to that place if it were earned and over the course of several episodes. But like, you just do not believe that. Well, I kind of believe it only because we saw hints of that before. Like Connor's behavior is solely a result of his feelings towards Angel. But we saw him interact with that homeless girl um, and he was obviously affected by her death. And 
you know, obviously his relationship with Holtz was loving, even if it was completely abusive, diabolical, (laughs) like, yeah, but Connor, we've seen hints of this side of him before. It's not that I, it is a little bit weird that he's now putting it towards Cordelia, someone who he did try to kill. It's not really though that Um, I don't believe he would help somebody. It was that he was the one, like I said, like giving her this deep read on who she is as a human. Like Connor was a nice, I think he is ultimately trying since day one, he's been trying to do good. He just has this obviously really warped sense of what that is. And he doesn't understand this world, but to have him, like I said, literally be like, you're Cordelia, you're Cordelia, you're brave. You're this, you love shoes, you love whatever. I was like, what, what? Like, that's the part that I don't, I don't, the trappings of how he delivered that information to her is what I didn't buy. I don't know how Connor knows that she. That's what I'm saying. He's never, they've (laughs) never had an interaction that like has anything to do with that. And like, yeah, I guess it's like so much a part of her that he heard it in passing or something, but like that he noticed and now can, you know, eloquently bring it up. That's the part that I have an issue with. And like I said, more so that the episode is asking us to both believe that he's made that change and is actually this deep understanding person and that Cordelia would rely on him all in one episode is what feels so rushed to me. It's so much to ask us to just be on board with. Cordelia saying that she trusts him and feels safe there to me is like the weirdest part of this. Like that it just happens with like, yeah, sure. He's honest with you, but he also honestly told you that. Like that's the person that you feel safe with. It's just none of it makes sense. And it feels because I know where this is going. It feels like it's It's just in in service for this end goal. And they were like, how do we make this happen? And it's like, I don't know, maybe just treat your actors with respect and your characters with respect. And like, not treat us like idiots like we're just gonna go yeah. with this like i i'm just like really angry about what they've done with cordelia no, me too. and i know it's one episode but it's also episode four of the season the last three episodes she spent in a cloud yeah like, well you know looking down on people and saying little quick quippy one-liners but but then she still was allowed to have a personality and now yeah. she comes back and she's treated with kid gloves yeah. and completely erased and I don't care if she has amnesia they barely were treating her like she had amnesia like they were expecting her to remember them immediately so if you're going to treat her that way then why are you just also pretending that she doesn't have a history of being a strong and capable woman yeah no I agreed agreed just nonsense I'm so mad right now it's so (laughs) annoying ugh I'm like talking myself into more anger yeah like yeah because I also am just thinking the direction that this goes and yeah, but again, that like because and I know, <laughs> like I, you know what I really want to know, and I know we've brought this up before, and like I don't know how to investigate this, but like I know this is all a result of like behind the scenes, like mm-hmm. bullshit, and I just like I don't understand like why she got treated this way. I mean, I what I don't understand is what the plan. What I would love to know is what was the original plan. You know, how much of this, was yeah. any of this always part of the plan or was all of this a re, you know, a, I a feel like re, some a pivot. of it had to be because timeline Right, wise, like they must have decided Cordelia, to make her a god already or whatever. Yeah, like that was already in motion. Yeah. But, yeah. I just don't know how you can sit in a room and take this best character, at least best up until Wesley, and just run them in a grinder well, you know I know how you can and I yeah. mean it's really easy because your best character is a woman and your writing room is a hundred percent yeah male. exactly so they don't yeah care. she would totally I, I, if I sound really bitter it's just like I am like I just like 
forgot how egregious the treatment of her was. Like, I mean, this is like character assassination. It is, is, but you know, and it's not even just to her though, you know, by extension, there really was all this buildup last season to her and Angel falling in love. And I enjoyed it. And I thought they did a nice job. Angel is still far from my favorite character and he's incredibly flawed and he needs to show a lot more emotional maturity. But I feel like they still managed to like eke out something that was believable and like pleasant for me. I could get on board and I enjoyed rooting for them together because they had grown specifically so much of their growth had happened with one another and because of one another that it was very satisfying. Yes, it felt So, But to have, it's not, I guess what I'm trying to say though is that not only have they destroyed all of that, because she doesn't remember any of it. But then they also, again, turn Angel into all of his worst instincts, which is he has no idea how to deal with women. And specifically, he has no idea how to deal with Cordelia. When, like, the whole reason that they fell in love was because he treated her a way that was different from how everyone else did. You know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, that's not the only reason that they fell in love. But you know what I'm saying is it's just like, it also takes the side away this side of Angel that had finally grown. You know, he had finally become a slightly better man at least with her and so to like see him just fumble so badly is like just so frustrating yeah angel is like the one person who took cordelia at face value and didn't judge her like yeah my my favorite example (laughs) is one of my favorite scenes in the whole show when to win her back over to his side he buys her clothes and the fact that it works that he understands that it will work and that he doesn't judge her for the fact that it does work is like the best thing about that whole thing and like we could say oh that's a really shallow thing all he had to do was buy her clothes but that's not really the point the point is like because he he gave her clothes away he understood that that was important to her because she also comes from a background where she has now had to start over completely and work for everything that she has (laughs) and, and he just gave it away and like that's the important thing, but the fact that he did it and understood that that would work, like, that's a level of connection that they have that I agree, they're just kind of throwing it away. And, like, him, and again, this goes back to, like, why wouldn't he just tell her, like, Angel, sh- Angel knowing her as well as he does, and also respecting yes. her for who she is, should have been the one to tell the group, this might be really hard for her to hear, but you know what? We have yes, to tell her. Yes, I agree. Like, and even if you ease her into it. all those evidence is there that she was okay with it. Her voice is on the answering machine. Like, she signed all of the yeah, checks. Like, yeah. it's all this stuff. Like, just tell her, like, I know this is scary to, like, be reintroduced to, but this is your world. Like, are you okay? Yeah, like, yes. Not just try to hide it from her, because that... I really mean, like, this episode had the vibe of, like, a horror film because it's from Cordelia's perspective. You know, everybody's suddenly acting really shifty around her and, like, lying to her and then, like, all this scary stuff is, like, jumping out at her. But, I mean, I feel like Angel should have been the one to know better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm so mad. No, it's totally... You're totally right. Also, poor Lauren, once again, is, like... He really hasn't asked for any of this. I guess he knows that he's associating himself with a group that is always going to be in danger and that he probably has an ability that will always also be in da- you know, make him in danger, but no, Lauren is the punch. He really bag. is. Yeah. Like, they just, it's like, he they just, just leave him behind and let him get attacked. And again, oh, that's, this is specifically like that the sh- instance number 10. Yeah. That the show th- doesn't care enough about him to like actually involve him in the plot and just leave him there constantly as this like device to be tossed around is also really irritating. Like God, Lauren has done so much yeah. for everybody and he's so kind and empathetic and that he's still, yes, the punching bag for us, the viewers, is, like, really annoying. I'm not getting any enjoyment out of that. Because he never gets a chance he to stand up for himself. He just got rescued from Vegas, like, 24 hours mm-hmm. ago. And now he's, like, yet again abandoned and left to And, like, tortured. fine for him to not be the fighter, fighter, but lots of them aren't the fighter and still, like, 
get the opportunity to prove that they can handle themselves or to ask for help. You know what I mean? It's like, they just leave him there. We don't even see what happens. And we're just, Oh yeah. Lauren can't handle it. He's a, he's the number two most mistreated character on this show. <laughs> I never really realized it. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk about There's this. There's nothing anymore. else to say. And <laughs> maybe get this one in under an hour again. Maybe. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Uh, okay. So what do we have next week? Uh, uh, I clicked off the Buffy screen. Selfless. Selfless. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm actually really excited to watch that one. I don't remember oh, which one. Oh, I'm really excited. Okay. It'll be awful, um, <laughs> but in a good way, I think. <laughs> I hope. Uh, okay. And, and Angel is called Supersymmetry. Sure, whatever. Supersymmetry. Okay. Yeah. Once again, those titles mean absolutely yeah, it nothing. could be anything. Um, cool. Uh, do you have any pop culture? I do. Um, cool. Me too. Because you know this. But I saw Hustlers the other day. Oh, it was great. Oh my God. I loved it. Go see it. <laughs> I am so ready to see that movie. It, I, I, well, I don't, it's funny because, it, okay, so you haven't seen it. So I don't want to like cloud your opinion no. too much. I do feel like it, it, it just is, it, it'd be hard, I think, to watch it and not enjoy it. It's like very, it's like very quick paced. It's very funny. It's very entertaining. It's like kind of checking every box. And I think they did, I think a like there's a part of me that wishes they had gone a little harder into kind of the like greater points that they're trying to make. But I actually think they kind of nail a really good tone of like, we're making a mostly lighthearted film. It's clear that there's some more, uh, you know, more political and darker storylines kind of in the background. And I, I don't know. I just feel like they did a good job of balancing it where you don't really forget that this is the real world and this is what's happening, but it's also like, doesn't, it's not depressing. <laughs> I don't know, which maybe is a flaw, but I don't think so. I think it was it was fun. You can make a lighthearted movie about dark. Subjects. Yes. And I, I guess really what I want, what I meant to say is it is totally it, the whole movie is like that time we watched Willow uh, finally get revenge on uh, what's his face, uh, Warren. And it's like, you know, cognitively, I obviously can't condone this, but to finally have some viewer, some entertainment that is like letting me unleash this like side is nice. It's fun to see women get to get the upper hand once, even if it's like, yeah, they're committing crimes. They shouldn't do it. But as a piece of entertainment, I have it's not watched watch a lot of that. It. it turns out. Cause I was like, wow, this is unique. <laughs> it's like revenge. Fantasy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and yeah. Yeah. Jenna, also, Jennifer Lopez, she's really great. Good, and Constance Wu was great too. I mean, everybody was good. I actually also really like Lily Reinhardt, the girl who plays Betty. I was really uh, side eyeing yeah. that she was in the movie because there's an awful striptease scene in Riverdale. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is going to be a nightmare. But I actually think they used her really well. And almost all the other characters that are like, you know, they, I do feel like the promotions for the movie have been like, it's got Cardi B, it's got Lizzo, it's got so-and-so, it's got so-and-so. But they're like barely in the movie. It's really J-Lo, Constance Wu, and then like a couple other characters. So don't go in expecting to see a lot of characters. But Yeah, I did read that, you know, it's kind of a shame to not have like, your most famous ex stripper in the film, <laughs> not be able to like strip yeah. in the film. Um, but apparently she was recovering from, uh, okay. Liposuction. Okay. So, um, so was unable to, I perform. did later watch a video of like JLo learning how to pole dance. And I was like, this is fascinating. I'm like, it fully intend to do more like behind the scenes research because it's like, it's impressive. Yeah. 
And I do... Stripping, like, the pole work is not a joke. It's not? Like, yeah. And also for, like, all the, like, times that... I'm sorry to make this the angle that I'm going at it from, but, like, all the accolades that men get for, like, gaining weight and losing weight for a role, but, like, J-Lo deserves that same lens of, like, you had to work really hard to do this, and, like, the scene that she does is stunning. You're like, wow, that is... It's, like, that is a great scene. Well, I was reading an interview with her, and she was like, yeah, I'm a dancer, but this isn't in my mm-hmm. wheelhouse. Like, I had to learn how to do this, and it's actually really painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. What's the Oscar for, like, stuff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, what do you have? Um, so I started watching the um, Ken Burns, the oh, new Ken Burns yeah, documentary on it. country mm-hmm. music. Because um, I have, like, a general like appreciation and interest in country mm-hmm. music like I it's not like my favorite favorite genre to listen to all the time but I I really like it and I'm really interested in like history obviously mm-hmm. um and Ken Burns like makes watchable documentaries yeah. like that's kind of his thing um it's really good I watched the first four episodes and you know it's so interesting to think about like the history of music and how it gets splintered and who gets the credit for what yeah. and how different genres get split, but they're really not that different. And like, I feel like the early days of rock and roll and like what they used to call hillbilly Mm -hmm. music, but the fact that rock and roll came out of like rockabilly, which was like a different version of that. I'm like, how do you not go back and be like, yeah, Elvis was a country singer or this is a rock song or like whatever. And it's like just the way it was all really fuzzy. But what was fascinating to me too, is like the history of how these businesses got started and like how radio stations used to function as, like, advertising Mm -hmm. arms for, like, different businesses. Like, radio stations were owned by businesses as, like, advertising Mm -hmm. venues. And, you know, I remember my great-grandfather telling me that they used to go around in the 30s and you could just go sing on the radio. (laughs) And, like, they would just go get their instruments and go sing on the radio. And sure enough, like, that is a thing that was happening. And that's how a lot of these early stars, like, got their start is they would just go and, like, sing on the Mm -hmm. radio. And, like, they didn't care who you were. They would just like yeah fill the hours fill the time um so that's really cool and I you know I'm only I've only gotten there's only been like the first four episodes so I've only gotten up through like the mid like probably to like 1960 um but yeah there's a lot of history I mean like how World War II affected mm-hmm. it the depression like all of that it's just it's like a really cool snapshot in time okay. I think so if you have 16 hours <laughs> at some point to kill I would recommend it as like it's a good background okay. yeah yeah it sounds good I've only heard good things Okay, uh, <laughs> Team Lila. Oh, yeah. Mm. Just because she pulled the good did, one. She did, yeah. Me. I'm sorry to disagree with you, but yes, Team Lila. All right. You could disagree No, I'm sorry. With me. It okay. sounded like I said disagree, and I said just agree. I'm sorry to just oh, agree oh. with you, but Team Lila. Yes, agreed. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next okay. time. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at OMWC Podcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.